0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of My Millennial Property. I'm obviously not John, I'm Emily. You can, can hear in my voice, but I do have John with me. How you Hello going, John. it's
2: a better sounding voice than John's, yeah, but uh, <laughs> how, how are we today?
1: I'm very well, yourself?
2: Can't complain, it's uh, it's a Friday in my world, so that's pretty cool.
1: fry as we call it, fry slash yay. Yeah. yeah. fry
2: I heard a quote during the week, if you wake up Monday and you know what you're getting paid by Friday, you're not going to get yourself rich, right? <laughs>
1: Oh, that, that's quite deep actually, that one. I, yeah. I quite like that.
2: Do you like that? Well, the business owners would very much like that. Yeah. Look, take it as you need it.
1: Definitely. Take it as you need it. That's an interesting – maybe we should involve some more quotes in the show. Maybe we should put a little Facebook poll to see if people want some more inspiration, <laughs> inspiration. to the show, but I quite like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> and speaking of – Facebook group. We actually are doing something special today. We are going to look into some quick fire question and answers because so many people, I mean, Glenn put up a post asking what people wanted to hear about on our show. And obviously Glenn is a much bigger celebrity than the two of us. So he got a great response. And the people replied and we're going going to deliver on what they've asked of us um, just in a minute because before we do, certainly want to give a little shout out to Sean Wellman from Wellman Finance. I recently learned that he was a finalist for the 2019 Mortgage Broking Awards, which um, I only found out because you found out, John, and not because Sean told you, but because you found it by Googling.
2: That's right. Well, yeah, I was just seeing their board one one morning. I thought, let's find out a bit more about this legend. No, is um yeah. Interestingly enough, and, and the, the thing I like about the guy is humble. Right, he can obviously write some decent loans and whatever. But you go and do his website, and it's and it's wealth and lifestyle. Right, it's nothing about I'll get you the best loan. Like that's the given, I suppose. Mm. It's it's thinking about people's situation, which is what makes him a good broker.
1: Very true. So, if you're in need of some refinancing or some new finance, please open up our show notes. There's a direct link that will take you to Sean, put him in the mix when considering a broker. He can help anybody Australia wide. So, jump on board, check him out. Totally. Now, into the juicy stuff. The people have asked, and we will deliver. We've got some questions that you've put in the Facebook group. Some of these will be quite quick fire, some of them will be a little bit more in depth but we uh, want to be able to answer the questions you have about property. So, the very first question that we have is, what is positive gearing? And I think this is a very fair question because you're not meant to know what positive gearing means, but let's unpack it for you.
2: Yeah, let's do that. Well, positive gearing in my world is when the income from your rent supersedes any of the expenses before tax right? So, you've got your income coming in from the rent and against that, you've got expenses such as your interest, your rates, your insurances, your property management fees, etc., cetera, et cetera. And total that up and you've got a positive situation when your um, income versus your expenses before you go and claim any running costs uh, on your taxable income.
1: Correct. So, you've got more money. You're better off. You're in a positive state, Oh, also, just shout out by the way. The person who asked that question was Steph Stott. Thank you very much for asking, Steph. Well done, but yes, Steph. positive, positive gearing means you have you're in a positive situation. You're plus. You're not in the negative. You're in the plus.
2: Yeah, which is, uh, and I suppose going on from that question is is, is well, what's right for me? Um, so, so many factors depend on that. You've got. Are you high income, low income? What is your tax bracket? If you are looking for some tax benefits, um, I generally speaking look for more positive cash flow. What's my result after tax? I can, if I'm claiming X amount uh, of the running expenses, what does my after tax position look like, or what is my cash flow position uh, when everything's said and done? Um, that's I like that to be in a positive cash flow position, not a negative cash flow position, and and in these times where interest rates are extremely low, as low as we've ever seen it, uh, we would argue that it's much easier to find positive cash flow property and positively geared property is is uh, at more common than it used to be as well.
1: Most definitely. So I hope that's provided some clarity on what positive gearing is. As I mentioned, you're not meant to know all these terms uh, and lingo in the property world. So, we're here to help you with those sorts of things. Hopefully, that has answered your question, Steph. Hmm. Now, another question that we have, there's been a few, I guess, that fall under some direct categories, but there is one specific one that I actually think, John, we might get a specialist in at some point, but we might answer at a more high level for today. So, we've got one from Helena Chan and also from Michelle Murray. They're kind of like similar questions under the topic of Strata and body corporate. How do you deal with them? Um, and I think this is a really interesting one as a purchaser going into buying into a situation where there's an active body corporate, but then also ongoing how to deal with them. First and foremost, my tip would be to gather as much information as you can when you're looking to buy into one of these. So, like I know for anyone that I work with, I call the body corporate manager, I have a pretty in-depth conversation with them, not just relying on the contract and what's um, provided in the vendor statement to explain what's going on. I actually want to know from from the the voice of the person who's looking after that property, what sort of situation are we in here? Are we going to have any special levies popping up? You know, Are there any neighbours I need to be aware of that have caused issues in the past? What do I need to know? What am I going in for? That would be my first tip is definitely pick up the phone. Don't be afraid to say, thinking about purchasing in this block, can you tell me a bit about it? And they're pretty open most of the time.
2: Yeah, they are. And, and you're right, it's it's asking the right questions and getting on the front foot and, and picking up the phone. But uh, I think the sinking fund is the big one for me. I think uh, knowing what is in the sinking fund. So generally speaking, the sinking fund is basically a pool of money that's set aside for any maintenance, upgrades, whatever needs to be done to the whole um, building. Now, if you've only got one unit within that um, building you're contributing to that sinking fund Um, so if you're buying a in a a unit block of say 10 10 units um, they will have a proper sinking fund that's been operating since day one now you need to look at first of all how much is in that so if something does happen that's uh, unforeseen Have they got the money to pay for it or are they forcing the 10 owners to actually come up uh, with it out of your own pocket, which is sometimes hard or um, impossible or not warranted anyway? Um, The other part of it is, what have they done in the last 10 years to improve the buildings? And if they haven't done anything and their sinking fund is low, there's a pretty good chance that something will need to be done soon. Which may work against you. You've gone and bought a property, and all of a sudden you need to outlay 10 grand to, to um, contribute to the sinking fund to do XYZ to the, to the building. So, having a look at that fund in detail is, is critical, I believe.
1: Yeah, completely agree with that there. And I think once you've actually bought in, if you're satisfied with the answers you're getting from the body corporate and you've actually bought into that block, whether you're an investor or an owner, I personally would suggest being an active part of the committee. Too often I see, particularly when I read body corporate meeting minutes, that it's only the owners who really attend and they and the investors seem to send a proxy, they say by proxy. Um, I really think to ensure the, the lifetime value of you know when you're owning that particular property in that block um, where you can be actually active in those meetings so that you, you can be a voice that can be heard. You don't need to go and be the president or anything like that. But as long as you are actually in those meetings and contributing, I think you'll get better results um, overall. And you know, also be friendly with the people who are co-owners in the block with you to be making some good decisions together.
2: Yeah, totally. Absolutely. But yeah, as you, as you mentioned at the start, I think uh, someone that delves into this stuff 24-7 in the in the space of strata, uh, we'll, we'll get mm. them on and, and tell their version of the story.
1: Definitely. So keep posted for an episode that will be specifically around that. But I hope maybe that's given you some food for thought in the interim to think about lots of questions on this list actually, there's quite a few here. There's actually quite a few around tools for property research. Now, again, this could be an episode in itself, but there's some questions around like how to calculate why one property would be better over another, how to understand all the costs associated with a particular purchase and those sorts of things. Now, John, I got an email from you and your team must have been maybe 10 days ago, about something special that actually might directly help with these questions. And we come back to the question as well, but just before we do, John has actually made like a wizard of a calculator that Mm. actually will help you with this very directly. So, it's a property analysis calculator. And I actually personally haven't really seen anything on the market like it in terms of the fact that you can put in multiple different options and understand the outcomes of them. Now, John you know this inside out obviously you built it so you you know um, what goes into the calculator yeah. but just for our listeners what would be the benefit in trying to understand different properties alongside each other and how to work out which one could be more valuable for them mm.
2: yeah well full disclaimer I didn't build it um, I got one well, of my yeah. one of my clients who's uh, who's a, um, a really Very honest. Yeah. No. Look. Um. I. But I did tell them what I wanted in it. I suppose. So. Uh, so. Yeah. I contributed to it. Um. Any case. Look. I suppose. Um. For the property investor, you've got the ability to put in up to five properties that you own uh, in your portfolio, and it'll give you a summary and overview of the total cash flow position of your whole portfolio. But individually, you can look at each of them and monitor what's their before tax position, what's the after tax position, et cetera. So for the existing property investor, it's a, it's an unbelievable tool. Um, for the owner-occupier, you can just simply put in your numbers as well and, and get a read of that. From an interest perspective, do I change it to principal and interest or interest only? What's my interest rate forecasting going to be? How's that going to impact my running costs? Um, and then more so, I suppose reaching out to the M three group and and saying, well, I'm about to go and buy a property, and and this question is um, perfect for it. I'm weighing one up against the other. I can actually put them in side by side into this calculator, and it can give me the uh, the answer from a before tax after tax perspective. Um, to be able to, uh, I suppose, just get some knowledge around it because I, I I meet so many people that just don't understand the numbers especially if they're not a numbers driven person it's hard to wrap your head around a what are the total costs involved and and uh, need to factor and b actually reading the numbers to prepare for the next five ten years of investing when if they're going to be looking for that next property or pulling some equity out or just running the cash flow of the property because it's a fearful thing for someone to know that um, is the property going to cost me money or not
1: Most definitely and I think you um, really touched on something important there that not all property investors are by nature are numbers numbers people. So, certainly having a calculator that does all that heavy lifting for you so you can see it really clearly what the options could be across a couple of different um, properties, I think that's really, really cool. So, there definitely will be a link in the show notes to check out that, that calculator and purchase it if you're thinking about comparing a couple of different properties alongside each other. I think it's a really valuable tool and would strongly encourage any listeners thinking about it right now to go go and check it out, have a little look-see. And when we come back after the break, we're going to unpack some more of your questions from the Facebook group.
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on
2: linkedin.com slash achieve today. So just on the back of that question about putting two properties side by side, which one do I choose? um, I think we've got to dig deeper and, and look at the long-term outcome for someone's strategy. So am I after cash flow? Am I after capital growth? Am I after a combination of both? Do I want some tax benefits, et cetera, et cetera? So there's thousands of properties out there on the market at any one time, anywhere around the country. So there's uh, you're spoiled for choice, but it's really identifying what's right for you. And I think people can get stuck in, in going too far one way they can say well i want a real high cash flow strategy which means i probably have to go smaller regional to get that high cash flow i'm talking like 9 10 11% yields conversely they can go the other way and and say well i just want capital growth so in most cases that will mean that uh, there's probably some negative gearing happening there because the price is higher, the yield is somewhat lower. So yeah, it's, it's striking that balance for you. So if you're out there trying to compare one, two, three properties, um, it's it's really looking at, well, what is your strategy and be comfortable with
1: um, the the one you're going to execute based on that strategy. And no two people, no two investors are the same. So, it is about monitoring your comfort levels, your outcomes and definitely long-term goals. Don't fail to realize that property is a long-term game. So, looking at that over a number of years and, and how that sits with you. Very good point.
2: Mm.
1: Now, we have some questions sort of leading on from the investor side of things. We've got some questions which could actually apply to homeowners as well. So, a few people have asked including Michelle Marie, Gemma Kate, Jess Crane, David Belstead, and Kimberly Owens, shout out to all of you. Absolutely. for ask very similar questions around sort of adding value to prop, your investment property, but also not overcapitalizing on property improvements. And it's a really valid point because I know personally, I've walked into so many places where I'm like, they've, they've, they went too far. They went too far on the bathrooms, you know. It looks decked out and same with the kitchen and it doesn't fit with the rest of the house and I think they've overcapitalized on, you know, the, um, the facelift that's, that's possible. So, I guess between John and I, we're going to talk through a few things that you could add value to your investment property but not overcapitalize and it is a very fine balancing act in achieving that.
2: Yes, and, and we I think on the main show we had a property valuer on who spoke about this and we had a, a bit of a robust conversation because he's like, well, yeah, in a lot of cases um, people do overcapitalize and, and we, we came to the conclusion that it really depends on the, the area that you're uh, – doing that renovation or improvements too, doesn't it? Like if you're in a, a, a million dollar suburb and and you're adding value to it in that million dollar suburb and you bought in at say, I don't know, 700,000, then that overcapitalizing won't be as extreme as if you uh, bought in at the top end of a suburb and then um, did a renovation on that as well. So yeah, I suppose that the things we need to look at first of all is it going to be cosmetic or is it going to be structural? And obviously, the cosmetic ones are the are the the DIYs. In a lot of cases, we can rip up our own carpet, we can paint the walls, we can maybe um, put up a fence, uh, we we can do a lot of the the cosmetic stuff ourselves. And and when I first started investing, I was always told um, to improve the uh, the rental yield work on the inside to improve the value of something, work on the outside and improve the outside of the property. Um, Now, I don't necessarily think that's true today, but I think generally speaking, if you've got to look at uh, what's the outcome again. So if I'm looking for for capital growth and improvements, what's happening in the area? What's the demand in the area? If the demand is for four-bedroom houses and mine's two, maybe that requires a structural renovation. If um, if there's a demand for two living areas as opposed to one, maybe I need to consider that. So what's our actual reason for the renovation probably is the first part for me.
1: Totally agree with that. And I also think it's a timely process in that for some people, um, you know, you've gone out and bought an investment and you know you're going to have to do a, a bit of a facelift to make it attractive to the rental market. That's one type of, I guess, improvement to achieve a good result for your a rental yield that you're hoping for and so that it's a nice, clean, neat place for someone to move into and it's competitive in the rental market. But I also think there's the element of when someone goes to sell their home and what would be the best thing to do pre-sale to get it to a point that will achieve you a really good good result. Um, And one thing that I think you probably, aside from facelift renovations to get it to a certain point, one thing that I believe is a really good return on investment is obviously the styling of a property for the selling market. And that's not something you're going to overcapitalize on because you can stage a whole house and give it a feeling that carpet and paint won't give by adding furniture. And we um, had a guest come on in an earlier show talking about uh, interior design and, and what to do on a budget when you're looking to sell. But obviously, in terms of making a bit more money back, um, I think that that's not a bad – people already see that as an as a improvement strategy. It's not an improvement. It's just adding value when it is the time to sell, which is when you make your money on an investment. So, just something to consider in that realm as well outside of the traditional renovations.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think going to sell is a very different conversation, isn't it? Like you as you said Belinda mm-hmm. from the Eight Home was on, she talked talked about how to maximize your dollar when you when you do sell by spending, I don't know, $500 on a, a interior um styling kit, which I think is is great now. Um but do we add value during The investment process is is the question I get a lot. So, uh, I've owned the Mm. property for two years, three years, and I want to do a renovation to um, maybe pull some equity out of the property, so I add value to then pull the equity out. And I think that's sometimes a little bit fraught with danger because you can go and spend a hundred grand on a Reno. Um, and depending on the market, the valuer comes in at the time of the market that it's uh, maybe not as buoyant as you would like it and that valuation can basically either make or break um, whether you pull that 100000 back out or not. So I think yeah, mm. you've got to be really careful before you just go and say, well, I'm going to improve the value through a renovation to pull some equity out. Maybe there's some other ways around it.
1: Definitely. And I think like anything in life, consultants and professionals who – potentially do this for a living, particularly um, groups who actually do renovations for that purpose, You know, for gaining more equity and are specialised in that field and have achieved great results for clients in the past, maybe someone to reach out to. Might even be someone we get on the the show at some point as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, don't think you have to know it all. You can get help in that field as well.
2: Yeah. And, and sorry to butt in there, but um, Cherie Barber is, has been a really good Person for renovations over time. Now, um, Sydney Lady, we may actually try and get her on Emily. She'd be awesome, but she she talks about the dollar to three ratio. So spend a dollar, we should be making three on that dollar that we spend. Which, when you look at it, you, you have to be really uh, well planned and thought out to to make sure you don't overcapitalize. So. Um, Yeah, it's obviously she does it for a living and teaches others how to do the same. But um, yeah, you should be applying a a concept that you know you're going to get an outcome to that desired result. Even if it's one in two, you'd you'd be pretty happy.
1: Most definitely, for sure. Uh, But yeah, I definitely think it's worthwhile us getting a specialist to talk even more about this. It was a very popular topic um, in the group. So keep posted uh, to all our friends out there who are listening. Yeah. We will endeavor to do a more of a deep dive. Um, we've probably got time for one more question. One I just want to mention in passing is uh, Emma asked about tiny houses, if they're the way of the future. Again, I think that actually tiny houses I spend forever on YouTube watching tiny house videos you? because amazing how much they can fit into one of those tiny houses. So, we might even do that as a separate topic because it's, it's a really interesting one and how tiny houses have evolved over time as well because they weren't really a thing, you know, 10 years ago and they certainly are becoming one now. So, Emma, we will come back to you on that one. But just as a closing question, um, there's one here from Rosie Carly and she asks, um, I'm deposit ready where to next? So the deposit's ready to go to buy a house. How how do I take the next step in buying a property?
2: Mm. Very
1: good question.
2: It is what, indeed. So what do we do? Well, the, the obvious. Well, I'm presuming that the deposit's ready and I know how much I can borrow, uh, which means I know how much I can spend. So if that isn't the case, then you've got to go and find that out and uh, encourage yourself to get a pre approval, which will last for. 90 days, give or take, um, sometimes longer. But I think the natural step in that would be to go and um, get a property strategy in order that matches your price but also answers the question of location, answers the question of the yield you want from an investment point of view. I'm presuming it's investment. Um, If it's not, you don't have to worry about yield. Um, You want to know the type of property, whether it's house, unit, apartment, etc., um, you want to know what the overall strategy is going to be. So, as I mentioned before, capital growth, cash flow, tax benefits are probably your three of your your high-level strategies. Do we want a combination of all three? Do we want to specifically nail one of them? Um, so, understanding those ones would be my first port of call for that.
1: Mm, definitely. And I think on my side of the, the first home buyer market that I obviously deal in a lot and people sort of go to me, well, what should I do next? I think the biggest thing is actually remembering that you're entering the market at a certain point in time and therefore you actually need to bring yourself up to speed with what's happening in that market. If, you've, if you're if you sort of governed by a certain area because of you want to live in that particular suburb because you're currently renting there and now you want to own there, yep. you really need to utilize online resources, even such as realestate.com and Domain to see what's recently sold in the area that you may... I always say to my prospective clients, can you send me at least three links of houses that have sold in your area within your price point in the last six months? And I think that helps you understand what your money can buy you and what's realistic. And then also, um, you need to start getting out there. You have to go. You actually have to go to inspections and start seeing property. You can't just rely on the online resources. You know, When it comes to comparables, you need to be on the ground and on the forefront of inspecting and getting to really get a feel for the market whilst remembering the market is forever changing. And it will change between the period of you deciding to buy a home and the time you actually do buy a home, it does change week on week. So um, just be mindful of that and education as always is is key in that process um, to do as much as you can so you feel that you're informed when you're buying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and on that education piece, uh, um, I, I don't know about you but do you, I get a lot of people that come to me saying oh, I've got so much knowledge now like of um, – I've followed the podcast, I've uh, listened to 10 other podcasts, I've read these books, I've, I've to, uh, spoken to these people and it's actually made me more confused than ever. So it, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's great to have the knowledge but I think generally speaking, you've got to then have the conviction to, to own what your strategy is going to be and then don't deviate from that.
1: Yeah, definitely, because it can be easy to feel confused. If you listen to too much, you can be a bit overwhelming, um, but it's understanding and consolidating what you have learnt and to putting that into practice in a really effective way that suits your goals, your needs, and um, your, your situation that you find yourself in.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: Well, I think that's any questions as we can answer in this particular episode, we may endeavour to do another one of that sort of quick fire, a couple of different questions from our listeners. We will report back on the ones that we are going to go into more depth on and get some specialists in to help unpack them beyond the wisdom of John and myself. Um, But we so appreciate you being engaged in our podcast, especially when you leave us reviews. It makes us feel really good and warm and fuzzy inside if you feel like you have gotten value please always feel free to let us know what you find valuable but also equally let us know what you what you want us to potentially change or do differently or some words of encouragement that we might need to we're happy to hear All sides of the story. And just a little reminder uh, to check the show notes for John's property analytics calculator. We touched on that a little bit earlier, but I really think it's such an awesome tool that will just take away the confusion of comparing properties for you and um, something that you should really consider looking into to um, unpack the numbers. You don't need to be a numbers person to be a property investor. You have got this tool that can do it for you, make you look like a wizard. Um, and sound like a wizard, and be a property wizard. So um, go and check it out. Um, the links are in, in the show notes below.
2: Yeah, look, it's always good to have a bit of ammo for the the old backyard barbecue, isn't it? 100%. Very good. All right, it's been a pleasure, Emily.
1: As always, John, and look forward to speaking again next week.
2: Sounds good. Hooroo.
0: We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Special thanks to Wellman Finance, our podcast partner. Sean Wellman and his team are available to coach you through your property journey, even if it's your first time. With expertise in investment and home loans, they're in your corner providing education and support as you take each step. For more info, check out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. If you want to really turn up your property education and information journey, make sure you check out the Solvair Property and Finance Academy. This is an amazing online resource that John has put together. It's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers, whether for their home to live in or an investment property, or if you're a seasoned property investor. This online academy is for you. Check out the link in the show notes. It will change your life if you let it.